by all honest accounts and the present state of affairs, not just nationally, but also globally, is it a fair question to ask, is all of this coming to a head? It's to the point of madness. I mean, look at society, at, at culture, and you just can't believe your eyes and your ears. The sound of voices weeping out of loss, voices crying for justice, or an anger against those who are no longer tolerable by the masses, whether because of rhetoric, ideology, or belief. For all of the wars fought on some distant frontier, foreign land, all-out war is waged right here, in our own communities and against one another. What is the end to all of this? Where does this lead? Does it all just stop? Is all of this just a result of chance or simple cause and effect formula? The answer to these questions is simple. But do we want to know? Do we care to know? Does it matter? These are life questions. It isn't scientific. It isn't theological. It's not academic. This is not about quenching some curiosity factor in some abstract equation. It's a search for truth. A search for truth without preconceived ideas. And if we are honest in our approach, if we become explorers rather than experts, we'll find what we're looking for. And once we have found the answer, then each of us can decide for ourselves where we go from here and how we respond to what we see in the world. One thing is certain. Indifference and non-action will do nothing except fuel the fire of hatred already ablaze. The crisis that is now in full force around us must be responded to, and at one point or another, the reckoning of time will make its way to each one of us and require a response. On our very first podcast, I, I asked two questions. One, who am I? Two, what is truth? These questions are linked. And once you find yourself, then the next logical step is to search for the truth of our existence in relation to the world around us. What is the condition of the world? And does it matter? A list of current affairs could sort of give us perspective, I think. Global markets... That's an important one. Take the Washington Post, October 7, 2015. The global economy is in serious danger. Policymakers badly underestimate the risks of both a return to recession in the West and of a period where global growth is unacceptably slow. A global growth recession. If a recession were to occur, monetary policymakers would lack the tools to respond. There is essentially no room left for easing in the industrial world. ABC. Over 80 dead and more than 200 injured in Nice as truck hits Bastille Day crowd. Washington Post, five Dallas police officers were killed by a lone attacker, authorities say. NPR, 49 killed and more than 50 injured in mass shooting in Orlando, Florida. These headlines, while old, represent more than just a collection of information. Take the headlines of just the recent past few months, like what is happening between Turkey and Syria. All the loss of life. These are stories of real people like you and me. 
And the loss is real. The pain is real. The hatred is real. As real as our own children, as our friends, our homes, our, our lives. But the world hardly stops for them. They become a part of the news reel for the day. And the only way you get more than a mere mention is if the story receives the notoriety from the viewers or the readers required to keep the narrative going, or else it's tossed into a bin of yesterday's news. Go to BBC. June 9, 2016, at least 30 people killed in and around Baghdad in two suicide attacks claimed by ISIS. May 17, 2016, four bomb blasts killed 69 people in Baghdad. Three of the targets were Shia areas. May 11, 2016, car bombs in Baghdad killed 93, included 64 in market in Shia district of Sadar City. March 6, 2016, fuel tanker blown up at checkpoint near central city of Hilla, killing 47. On and on and on. The list goes on, and there's more to add to it. And how many more deaths? How much more chaos? And so what's the answer to all of this? Is, is there an explanation? Well, one must start with an objective view of culture and morality. So I ask... Are the actions of these terrorists, these shooters, these events a source of agitation, or do they elicit a sense of horror, disgust, and disbelief in us? Are these events an indication of a certain destabilization of culture as we know it? And if we answer yes, then we must first assume that what we are really recognizing is that there is such a thing as evil. And if there is evil then we also assume that there is good, two opposing forces at work that also then lead us to a logical line of thinking. If there is good, and if there is evil at work, then where do they come from? And there are those who do not accept a good and evil model for morality in the world. Postmodernism promotes this kind of thinking. There is no such thing as moral intent, just intent. In a society where you can't even walk into a restaurant anymore, or a shopping mall anymore, or a movie theater, or a school, without the thought or the fear of something or someone intruding into our lives simply to hurt or rob us of our joy and sense of security, you cannot logically subscribe to a relativistic approach to morality because, you see... While we may reason and rationalize the philosophical implications of the concept of what morality is, when we ourselves become the victims of such horrific events, our emotional response tells us something else. Our fear, our tears, our anger tells us that when we experience terror, loss, violence, and, and death, we are by our own reactions admitting that there is a fixed morality or else, what is it we fear? And what is it we're angry at? What are we crying about? What are we reacting to? There's too much loss. There's too much, too much devastation, too much death, too much pain to say that there's no absolute morality. There's no good or evil. And here's where our search for truth continues. The truth of our existence has purpose in this context because good and evil imply two choices, two outcomes, two responses, two paths. 
and therefore we must then choose a side. What possesses a person, man or woman, to take a bomb or a weapon and to meticulously and premeditatively plan the killing of innocents? Where is the starting point of all of this? The media always focuses on the politics of an issue or the ideological underpinnings of groups, but almost never do you find a discussion or a question on the moral reasons why individuals take the lives of others in cold blood. Because morality is an uncomfortable position to take. Once you introduce morality into the conversation, you begin to place an accountability on such things. And if there is one thing that relativism does not espouse to, it's the notion that there's some higher moral standard to which we're all accountable. In fact, in a relativistic society, which really has its foundations in what academics call naturalism, the foundation of any type of moralistic thinking is not found outside or separate from human beings. Rather, it's something that is within humanity by default. So therefore, I establish my own morality and with myself as the standard to be measured. However, there is no logic in this line of thinking. How does one come to know that shooting an innocent child is a vulgar act? Most people would come to that conclusion, but there are people who either by religious belief or who have become so numb to any emotion will commit these acts and afterward have no remorse whatsoever. So if we were to subscribe to this idea that morality is measured by what is inside of us already, then in essence what we're saying is that the reality we see around us is the best we can ever hope for. How can we place upon ourselves the ultimate measure of all that we may call good or evil? Good and evil are not forces that exist in some abstract. They are the essence by which we learn how to live and hopefully how not to live. How we learn and how we act. We can choose to be one or the other, but these forces are not born in us because if we're to buy into this notion that we are our own measure of morality, then what we think may be good may actually be evil to someone else. It becomes a vicious cycle that doesn't end, or rather ends in our annihilation. Everything, then, is left to chance. Wherever the chips may fall, that is how morality is measured, and I am accountable to no one and nothing. You know, recently I came across... Uh, a poet by the name of Steve Turner. He's a British poet who penned these words from a poem that he titled Creed. If chance be the father of all flesh, disaster is his rainbow in the sky. And when you hear state of emergency, 
Sniper kills ten. Troops on rampage. Whites go looting. Bomb blasts school. It is but the sound of man worshipping his maker. We live in a society that seems to be tearing down old pillars that we have always seen as principles of our nature. Good and evil being two of those ancient pillars. But if philosophy and academia can knock down these pillars, what they see as some form of liberation really only becomes a further oppression of culture because when you tear down old fences meant to protect, one must ask, what or who are you allowing in? Anything goes so long as you do not harm or hurt someone else. How is that possible if the only rule of life is anything goes? You are your own measure of morality. In essence, we become a world of billions of tiny little gods going around doing their own bidding, caring for nothing, standing for nothing, and living for nothing. Well... Nothing comes from nothing. It isn't scientifically viable. So, if we can criticize the actions of others as evil, then we already assume that there's good. And if there's good and evil, then there's a moral law by which we can make such assertions. If we assume a moral law, then by virtue of logic, there's also a giver of that law who must be moral. An objective moral law. What is that? Well, many of us would no doubt look towards the laws of the land. But if we're to look towards government, this already leaves us with even more doubts, since empires and nations rise and fall. In the U.S. alone, when federal laws began to be codified about 1927, they could fit into a single volume. And by the, by the 80s, there were a total of 50 volumes with more than 23,000 pages. New laws are passed every year, averaging about, if we're lucky, 125 a year, although that pace, and no surprise there, has slowed in the second decade of the 21st century. Point being, can anyone quantify and know each law in the United States statutes at large? You can get close, but this is always changing, and... There's always amendments, resolutions, treaties, etc. And besides, there are enough laws in the books upon which some would call evil and others good. One agrees and other disagrees, but we must have a common point of reference in order to make these assertions. You have to get more basic in order to come closer to an answer. The most valuable thing to any of us, no doubt, is life. The mere act and emotion of love proves that. Love makes life possible, and life makes love possible. And so, I think it is safe to say that we would agree that murder is morally wrong. But is it something intrinsic in human nature? How do we know that murder is wrong? Or even simpler, more basic, look at the pervasive culture of what's, what's known as post-truth that we're now living in, where preferences are set above facts. This really isn't a new phenomenon. There's a constant barrage of fact-checking these days, especially with the rise of social media. One side makes a statement, and another self-deemed truth-sayer emerges with the purpose of passing each statement through a specialized 
lie detector test to see what passes as fact and alternative fact. Whether motivated by altruism or just a smear and character bash the opposing side, the fact remains that truth matters. Otherwise, why go to so much trouble to fact check and make sure that one's statements are in fact true? Telling a lie is committing murder evokes in us a certain moral outrage. So what informs us? What's, what's the moral referent that we can all point to and say, this is truth that we can all agree on? This is why a lie is a lie. Why murder is horrific and morally repugnant. It isn't national law because different nations see humanity in different ways. This also brings up the question of value. What is it that gives human life value? Is it a biological principle, a, a scientific law, a consensus of a joint body of philosophers, our pedigree, our class, our group standing? When we look back in history at the Dark Ages, the Inquisition, the Boxer Rebellion in China, and you move to the 20th century, the mass murders and genocides in only a hundred years' time, over a million in the Armenian genocide alone, over 15 million by Stalin, over 6 million Jews in the Holocaust, and about 5 million Slavs, the disabled, political dissidents at the hands of Hitler, not to mention the most recent genocides, Cambodia, Rwanda, Bosnia, and Darfur. Human worth, when placed in the hands of other human beings, falls short of any standard that anyone in their right mind would ever accept as the standard we should all follow, because the moral referent becomes plural and relative. It is autonomous, each man becoming a law unto himself. Indeed, then the question of truth, of worth and morality, becomes even more relevant in this context. The answer lies in freedom. the truth of human worth. It's in freedom. One of the most revered documents in history written by man is the Declaration of Independence. And one of the most quoted lines of this document is, we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. We all know those words. So life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness are identified as truths. But what qualifies these as truth? It isn't the document itself, nor is it its authors. They're, they're simply reiterating what its readers would already assert, what they would already know. It is written with the assumption that this is common knowledge and common sense. The truth of life and the truth of liberty is self-evident. 
And what qualifies this truth of our existence, according to the authors of this document, is the fact that we are created. This narrative hangs all of its qualification on an assertion that life is deliberate and intentional by a designer. And this gives all human life inherent worth. So then one must ask the question, who is this designer? How can these writers base all of the merit of their argument on what has become one of the greatest debates of our time? The existence of a being capable of creating intelligent life. The relevance of this question is so grand in its magnitude because independence, according to this document, is only possible in the reality of the existence of a creator. Without the creator's existence, the whole document is meaningless, falls apart. What is even more interesting is that the very author of the Declaration of Independence, Thomas Jefferson, made this statement. Question with boldness even the existence of a God, because if there is one, he must more approve of the homage of reason than that of blindfolded fear. This really matters to me. It matters to a lot of you as well. Knowing, really knowing, and more than knowing, understanding. And in, in the scope of what we see happening in the world, where there's such division, this whole us versus them mentality, where you have some who are willing to die for what they believe in, others justifying violence in the name of justice, where protests have become so commonplace as a means to show resistance. If individuals are willing to show such passion, whether it be politically driven or religiously motivated or just from a perspective of social justice, then the question of truth and meaning, human worth, becomes even more relevant. Is God real? Is life a result of intention? Is there an end game to everything that we see in society? Or is it all, am I, are you just a mere product of chance? These questions are universal. They're timeless and they're relevant. History and philosophy have grappled and continue to grapple with these questions. And being that a whole nation was founded on these ideas, these they call self-evident truths, the answers to these questions matter. The fact that history shows us story after story of struggle and numerous wars of peoples fighting for their freedom to throw off oppression and tyranny, why fight for, why fight for something if there's no meaning in it? If life has no worth and is just a question of time and matter and chance, why this constant struggle to reach these lofty ideals like peace, love, unity, justice, and truth, which all of humanity is calling for and has been calling for? Are these ideals cemented in some objective reality that we can all agree on, or are they determined by human constructs? If the latter is so, then truth cannot be self-evident because it changes from culture to culture, country to country, people to people, person to person, always in this constant state of flux, cemented in nothing, with its feet firmly planted in mid-air. So then, who determines our worth, 
who determines what truth what what truth is relevant and what freedom is or isn't whose life matters or not what is right or wrong there's a statement by noted paleontologist Stephen Jay Gould on the matter of life and our existence and it, he he says we may yearn for a higher answer but none exists we cannot read the meaning of life passively in the facts of nature we must we must construct these answers ourselves from our own wisdom and ethical sense there is no other way wow if all of this is just a construct then by the historical record alone all of the genocides the countless deemed uh, the countless that have been deemed subhuman by others claiming a racial superiority the wars the injustices the the current atrocities that we see committed every day there really is no hope for the human race then because even in this incredible information age where science has made awesome ad, uh, advances where technology has revolutionized our world where there is a more quote-unquote civilized way of life the standards seem to stay pretty low while there are many who oppose the idea of an objective and absolute truth who cannot ascribe to the concept of a living sentient intelligent being who intentionally created life it would seem reasonable given the implications of our current state of affairs to pursue and explore the assertion that life liberty and our existence derive from one extrinsic source which by the mere act of creation gives all of us an intrinsic worth that makes us all equal if not then this document of the declaration is false as is the nation from which it was founded and therefore the idea of liberty itself has no foundation in science the simple equation of zero plus zero still equals zero what that means is then that something cannot be produced from nothing you and I are a product of something and that is the answer we exist we are here the famous definition of life cogito ergo sum I think therefore I am you are and I am the the simple answer of truth is we are we are here because something or someone else also is we must question with boldness if one doubts then this already is motivation enough to search doubt is not an indication of something not existing by doubting we are led to question and by questioning we arrive at the truth the truth is already there it always has been we just need to find it